these eyes cry every night for you. Well, welcome to week two of bias, okay? We don't see the world as it is, we see it as we are, okay? Are you having a good day? Because we're gonna ruin it for you because now we're gonna talk about politics, okay? Uh, and to get things going, I'm going to need you guys to focus. I'm going to need your attention. I'm going to need your eyes to see clearly. Okay. Check out this video. How many times do the people wearing white pass the ball? people wearing white pass the ball okay the correct answer is 16 okay if you got it great job but did you notice the gorilla okay see most of you probably missed the dancing gorilla that entered the circle in the middle of the video it seems like a pretty big thing a weird thing to miss but okay some of you may have seen the gorilla but did you notice, did you notice the color change of the curtain behind them from red to gold or the person from the black team that just decided to leave the game all together, okay? We can't see what we can't see. When we are looking for something, sometimes we miss anything else. We don't see the world as it is. We see it as we are. Now, for a moment, I want you to put aside everything you think of when you hear the words conservative and liberal or the words conservative and progressive, okay? Put all those thoughts aside. There'll be a time later where we can relate to these terms in the conventional way, but for now, everything you know about these terms, lay to the side, okay? Now, have you ever went into a dressing room and then you grabbed a shirt or something that you saw and you put it on and you're like, is this me? And there's some understanding uh, that we have of ourselves, okay? This helps me be more me. There's something within me that this is true to, okay? Uh, I remember years ago when I was a youth pastor, everyone was wearing V-necks, okay? And I remember trying to put one on and I immediately thought, this is not me, okay? I looked ridiculous. How in the world did I even think this was a possibility, okay? Uh, immediately, it's not me. There's this sense that we all have. And there are times when we say no to something because that decision would be a departure from self. There was something about that situation that you weren't able to hold together. It was disorienting. There are these moments where an impulse, an instinct, a reaction kicks in. That there's something about myself that is asking to be protected, preserved. You might even say conserved. There's something here that I'm needing to hold together. And that is what the word conserve means. Uh, the word con means together and savari, keep or maintain, okay? If there is a land threatened and a group of people get together to protect that land, that's called a conservancy. The same uh, can be said for species of animals, right? They're called conservationists. Something to be, that needs to be held together 
and remain true to itself. There's something good here that needs to be cared for, that needs to be protected. Everybody has this conservative impulse inside of them to protect, to preserve that essence. That impulse is good and it is necessary and it is conservative. But then, sometimes, you try on that shirt and it's different. You'd never considered a shirt like this before, okay? Uh, you're like, this shirt's fun. It's corduroy. It's got these patches on, on the pockets. There's lightning bolts on the side. I kind of like this shirt. You never wore a shirt like this ever before, but something in you opens up and you think, maybe this is me. I could wear this. Wouldn't it be interesting if I wore this? I'm going to buy this shirt, okay? This is a silly metaphor, but you never even considered it. And yet something inside of you is, is, is rising up, some angst, some I'm tired of wearing the same thing. What used to feel right in at home doesn't feel right or at home anymore. Something is welling up inside of you. It's expanding. I could wear this shirt. I could make that move. I could try that dish. I could move to Minnesota. I could approach that girl. Okay. I haven't done that before, and so something is within me rising up, moving me in a new direction, and that impulse is called progress. Progressive. Conservative, progressive, both inside of you. There is this inner dialogue, this duality, this dance. Both are vital. We need this tension. It's like shocks on a vehicle or on a bike. Uh, you need that tension to push back because if we lose that tension, just the smallest bump in the road can wreck us. Some stories work until they don't, and that's okay. And in the same breath, not all that is new is great. Not everything that announces itself as progress actually is. We should be asking ourselves the hard questions. Is this new thing good or does this thing need to be protected or conserved? It's so easy to be caught up in the protecting and the conserving that you end up denying anything that is progressing. It's also possible to be so caught up with the new that the, in the progressing that you have lost something that was good, something that was. Is this sure me? So this conservative and this progressive lies within all of us. And we are currently living in a time where people are literally coming up to us and asking us, are you a conservative or are you a progressive? Because I guess you have to choose. You have to be one or the other. And we think that to play this game that everyone else is playing, I've got to choose one. No, you don't. Was Jesus a progressive or a conservative? Was Jesus a Republican or a Democrat? Because both parties want Jesus. Everybody wants a part of Jesus, right? Republicans are absolutely convinced that Jesus would be a Republican because of their values. And Democrats would say, absolutely, Jesus would be a Democrat because of his care and concern for the poor. And so everybody wants a piece of Jesus. And the interesting thing is this, that if I were given the assignment, John, could you come up with a sermon? that would demonstrate that the Republican Party and the Republican Party platform is in sync with the teachings of Jesus, I could do that. And if somebody else were to come along and say, John, could you create a sermon that shows that the Democratic platform and their values 
are in sync with the teachings of Jesus, I could do that too. Because when you interpret the words of Jesus through the filter of your political party, it's amazing. He's so red, okay? He's so blue. It's just crazy how often he agrees with me. Are you willing to follow Jesus when following Jesus creates space between you and your political party, your party's platform, and your party's candidate? And I'm just telling you that most Christians in this season are not able to do that, especially in this climate. It's so easy to be divided. It's so easy to rush to the corner. It's so easy to just assume that Jesus is on our side and therefore against all of those people. Okay, remember Jeff Foxworthy? Remember the might, you might be a redneck joke? Okay, if you ever cut your grass and find a car, you might be a redneck. If someone asks to see your ID and you show them your belt buckle, you might be a redneck. Well, if you are known more by your friends and your coworkers for your politics than for your God, you might, be, uh, you might be putting your trust and hope in something that is far too small. This is a tough season we're in. It seems like dialogue is a thing of the past. And now we live in a world defined by my camp versus your camp, in or out, for, against, friend or foe, ally or enemy. And we write off people we're called to love. And as Jesus followers, we should be different. There's this story in the book of Joshua. Right after God freed his people out of slavery in Egypt, right after he gave them the law in the wilderness, his people are entering the promised land and are going to fight for victory. And they're going to win because God was on their side. Joshua chapter five, verse 13. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for this servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Joshua had the same question that we do. God, what side are you on? And the commander of the army of the Lord says, neither. What? God, we're your people. You, res you rescued us from Pharaoh in Egypt, right? You gave us your law. You told us to go get the promised land. We know that you're on our side. The book of Isaiah declares that his ways are higher than our ways. And ain't that the truth, okay? His ways are so much higher than our ways. I just don't get God. And maybe that's the point. The day that you don't get God is perhaps the first day that you actually get God. He doesn't need to consult you. He doesn't need to run it by you. Joshua wants to know if God is a Democrat or a Republican. God says, neither. But there is this battle in our country. But God, Trump is the worst. But God, Biden is a socialist. Hey, Joshua, you are not the commander of the army of the Lord. I am. And let me put it very blunt here if I haven't been already. If you are a follower of Christ and you think that as a follower of Jesus, you have to be a Republican or a Democrat to be a Christian, then you have confused a political party with the kingdom of Christ. And you are in danger of being a puppet not a disciple. See, Jesus never fit into the categories of his day. 
The people were amazed because he defied their expectations of, of all the parties of the day. He exploded the boundaries. He shows us a better way. We want Jesus to see the world as we see the world. We come to Jesus, we wanna know, are you conservative or are you progressive? Are you Republican or are you Democrat? Are you for us or for our enemies? And Jesus says, neither. The question is not, which side are you on? The question from Jesus is, are you on my side? Jesus is not a Republican and Jesus is not a Democrat. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And to reduce him to a political party that will be a blip on the map of human history is idolatrous. It's too small. During our oh-so-short history as a nation, several political parties have just disappeared, okay? They're no longer around. Is there anybody watching online today that is from the Whig Party, okay? How about Federalists? Are there any Federalists watching online this morning? So here's what we forget. We, we're, show, we're so short-sighted, okay? There were entire political parties in our short history as a nation that were so adamant about certain things, and they, then they just kind of went away. And so in this tense time, what are we to do? I think we go to Jesus. Look at Mark 12. Verse 13, it says this. Later they sent some Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. Okay, the Herodians and the Pharisees were the complete opposite political parties. They were on the opposite side of the political spectrum. Okay, it was Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and it was... Uh, Jim Jordan from Ohio, okay? Complete opposites. It was Rachel Maddow and it was Tucker Carlson. But they united in trying to trap Jesus. Jesus subverted both of their agendas. Jesus is dangerous to both parties. Verse 14, and they came to him and said, teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they said. Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. Uh, this is one of the only times in the Gospels where everyone, even the religious leaders, were amazed at him. See, the crowds were often amazed at him, but here, both parties amazed. Now, let's go back 2,000 years to first century Palestine, and let's time travel a little bit, okay? Buckle your seatbelt because this is going to get good, okay? Taxes represented the most pious issue between Israel and Rome. You could say that the most conservative issue of the time was taxes. And it wasn't just the tax itself. It was how you had to pay the tax. You had to pay it with a certain coin that had the image of Caesar on it. The image of Caesar was blasphemous to the people of God. And it would typically say something like this. On one side of the coin, it would have the profile of Tiberius Caesar. It would say, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus, son of God. And on the other side, it would be the words Pontifex Maximus or high priest. And so for the Jewish mind, it was doubly offensive. 
It represented oppression and the impoverishment of the land, and it represented political blasphemy with a graven image. It is a genius trap. And here's how they have trapped him, right? If Jesus says, yes, you should pay your taxes, well, then Jesus is just a collaborator. He's just one in a long line of weak, cowardly collaborators that let Rome run all over us. And then his life's claim that he is the Jewish Messiah would be automatically diminished. Because not only was the text blasphemous, but it was blasphemous for a rabbi to even handle a coin. Good rabbis in the Galilee don't touch these coins because it was blasphemy just to have one. So if Jesus says, yes, pay the tax, well, he's lost his prophetic power and his prophetic voice. If he says, don't pay the tax, well, he's just committed treason against Rome. So Jesus is trapped, but he's so stinking smart. It's a total trap for him. He's either going to lose his influence with the conservatives or he is going to lose his voice with the progressives. There is no way out. They've got it. But JC sees through their duplicity and he says, show me a denarius. In Mark's count, he says, uh, bring me a denarius. And the implication being that he doesn't have one on him, okay? Because it would have been self-contradicting for him to have one of these coins on him, right? As an up-and-coming Jewish rabbi. So who ends up having one? It says that, that it was one of the spies that sent by the chief priests. Remember, this is all happening publicly. This is not in some back room somewhere, okay? This is at the temple for all to see. So Jesus says, show me a denarius, and they produce one. Jesus has already flipped the script on them. With one question, he has trapped the trappers. This jujitsu move uses their own condemnation against them. And by producing a denarius, he shows them to not be truly concerned with their obedience or the law. Boom. And then what's the second commandment that every good Jewish person knows? Well, you should have no graven images. And so Jesus strikes back. He says, show me a denarius. They produce one. And then he asks the most genius question and the most Jewish question of the day. Whose image and whose inscription is on it? And they reply, Caesar's. Now, catch this. He says, then give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God, what is God's. There aren't enough superlatives to describe what Jesus does here. In that statement, Jesus uses two words that would have been absolutely electric to the first century audience. The first word he uses is inscription. And it's where we, uh, we find this in the Jewish Shema, this daily prayer that every Jewish person would know. And it held the weight of true obedience to God. It was a reference to the law of God being inscribed on our foreheads. But the kicker, the bigger word here, is the word image. And in the Jewish mindset, image had a positive connotation and a negative connotation. Negative is that you shall make no graven image. To, to be worshiped or bowed down to. It's in the Ten Commandments. What was the positive connotation? Genesis chapter one, where God says, let us make man in our likeness and our image. So who's made in God's image? What are the only thing on planet earth made in God's image? You, me, people. So here's what Jesus is saying. Here's the punchline, and he's so stinking genius. He says, Take what has the image of Caesar on it and give it back to Caesar. And take what has the image of God on it and give it to God. What has the image of God on it? We do. Our whole self, our entire being. What Jesus has done is not condone dual citizenship. He is saying that the claims of Caesar and the claims of God are mutually exclusive. 
And that the point of this teaching is this, that you and I are stamped with the image of God. Your whole life, your whole self, everything there is about you, give it to God. But that puny little coin, that little silver coin, give that back to Caesar. It's amazing. Some of us are putting our hopes in politicians, in parties, in laws, where our hopes and dreams and life should be found in God, whom you bear the image. Now, some of you are thinking, okay, John, cool, but it's not, re- it's not reality, okay? You gotta say things like, you gotta be down the middle, you're a pastor, this is your job, you're just doing your job. Or am I being too simplistic? It's not the world we live in, right? Am I being too naive with this progressive and conservative dichotomy? To which I would say, no. Let me give you an example of something that is really naive. What is naive is this. A first century itinerant Jewish rabbi from nowhere, as far away from the epicenter of activities he could be, standing out in the hot Syrian sun, surrounded by 12 guys who were younger than him, who disagreed, who have no political clout. They don't have anything going for them. And right there in the blazing sun of first century Palestine, some Jewish rabbi says this, guys, I'm gonna build my church, my movement. I'm going to build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now that is naive. They look around and they're like, you're gonna do what? He's like, yeah, I'm gonna start a movement and you guys are gonna be a part of it. And neither Rome, nor temple, nor culture, nor nation will ever stop it. We are a part of the same movement. And so our loyalty is to that king. We are part of something so much bigger than America. Why in the world would we opt for anything less than that? Why in the world would we allow ourselves to be divided by something like that? Are you more known by your political leanings than by your Christ-like character? Our loyalty, our fidelity, our lives should look more and more like the platform of Jesus, loving God and loving people, and less like the platform of a conservative party or a progressive party. They are not enemies that we hate and need to conquer. They are image bearers of God whom we're called to love. Jesus, let us be different. We need you. We ask for your help in this. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to thank you so much for joining us online at Prodigal Church Fresno. Next week is the finale of our uh, Bias Sermon Series, and we can't wait. We hope you guys have an amazing week. Grace and peace in Ukraine.